Hi, my name is Alec. Welcome to LitCast. Today I'll be reading lines 1292-1421 to of Beowulf. The hell dam was in panic, desperate to get out, in mortal terror the moment she was found. She had pounced and taken one of the retainers in a tight hold, then headed for the fen. To Harathgar, this man was the most beloved of the friends he trusted between the two seas. She had done away with the great warrior, ambushed him at rest. Beowulf was elsewhere. Earlier, after the award of the treasure, the Geat had been given another lodging. There was uproar in Herot. She had snatched their trophy. Grendel's bloodied hand. It was a flesh blow to the afflicted bawn. The bargain was hard, both parties having to pay with the lives of friends and the old lord. The gray-haired warrior was heart-sore and weary when he heard the news. His highest-placed advisor, his dearest companion, was dead and gone. Beowulf was quickly brought to the chamber. The winner of fights, the arch-warrior, came first footing and with his fellow troops to where the king in his wisdom waited, still wondering whether Almighty God would ever turn the tide of his misfortunes. So Beowulf entered with his band in attendance, and the wooden floorboards banged and rang as he advanced. Hurrying to the address, the prince of the Inguins asked him if he'd rested, since the urgent summons had come as a surprise. Then Harathgar, the shielding's helmet, spoke. Rest. What is rest? Sorrow has returned. Alas, for the Danes, Escher is dead. He was... Your man laughs, elder brother, and a soulmate to me, a true mentor. My right-hand man, when the ranks clashed and our borb crests had to take a battering in the line of action. A share was every everything the world admires in a wise man and a friend. Then this roaming killer came in fury and slaughtered him in Hero, where she is hiding, glutting on the corpse and glorying in her escape. I cannot tell. She has taken up the feud because of last night when you killed Grendel. Wrestled and racked him in ruinous combat since for too long he had terrorized us with his depredations. He died in battle, paid with his life, and now this powerful other one arrives, this force for evil, driven to avenge her kinsman's death, or so it seems to Thanes in their grief. and the anguish every Thane endures. At the loss of Ringgiver, now that the hand that bestowed so richly has been stilled in death. I have heard it said by my people in Hall, counselors who live in the upland country, that they have seen two such creatures prowling the moors, huge marauders from some other world. One of these things, as far as anyone else, anyone ever can discern, looks like a woman, the other warped in the shape of a man. Moves beyond the pale bigger than any man, an unnatural birth called Grendel by country people in former days. They are fatherless creatures, and their whole ancestry is hidden in a pass of demons and ghosts. They dwell apart among wolves, on the hills, on the windswept crags and treacherous caches, where cold streams pour down the mountain and disappear under mist and moorland. A few miles from here, a frost-stiffened wood waits and keeps watch above the mere. The overhanging bank is a maze of tree roots 
mirrored in its surface. At night, something uncanny happens. The water burns, and the mirror bottom has never been sounded by the sons of men. On its banks, the healthier stepper halts. The heart in flight from pursuing hounds will turn to face them with firm set horns and die in the wood rather than die beneath its surface. That is no good place. When the wind blows up and the stormy weather makes clouds scud and the skies weep, out of its death and dirty surge is pitched towards the heavens. Now help depends again on you and on you alone. The gap of danger where the demon waits is still unknown to you. Seek it if you dare. I will compensate you for settling the feud, as I did the last time with lavish wealth. Coffers of coiled gold if you come back. Beowulf, son of Ekithau, spoke. Why, sir, do not grieve. It is always better to avenge dear ones than to indulge in mourning. For every one of us, living in this world means waiting for our end. Let whoever can win glory before death. When a warrior is gone, that will be his best and only bulwark. So arise, my lord, and let us immediately set forth on the trail of this troll dam. The I guarantee you she will not get away, not to dens underground, nor upland groves, nor the ocean floor. She'll have nowhere to flee to. Endure your troubles today. Bear up and be the man I expect you to be. With that, the old lord sprang to his feet and praised God for Beowulf's pledge. Then a bit and halter were brought for his horse with his plated mane. The wise king mounted the royal saddle and rode out in style with a force of shield-bearers. The forest paths were marked all over with the monster's tracks. Her trail on the ground, wherever she had gone, across the dark moors, dragging away the body of that thane. Hrothgar's best counselor and overseer of the country. So the noble prince proceeded undismayed up fells and screes along narrow footpaths in any ways where they were forced into single file ledge, ledges on cliffs above layers of monster, water, water monsters. He went in front with a few men, good judges of the lie of the land, and suddenly discovered the dismal wood. Mountain trees growing out at an angle above gray stones. The bloodshot water surged underneath. It was a sore blow to all the Danes, friends of shieldings, a hurt to each and every one of that noble company when they came upon a share's head at the foot of the cliff. Okay, so now for the analysis part. So, Grendel's mother wants to avenge Grendel's death because that's just what they do in their society. So she comes back to Harrit Hall and fights or avenges his death and ends up killing a couple guys and takes one of them with her as she leaves. And Harathgar and Beowulf decide to follow or track the Grendel's mom and uh, pretty easy to follow since she's dragging the corpse of one of the men and they as they're hunting they come upon a severed head as of the man that they're following. Hi my name is Michaela and today I will be reading lines 
1422-1556 from Beowulf. Everybody gazed as the hot gore kept wallowing up and an urgent war horn repeated its notes. The whole party sat down to watch. The water was infested with all kinds of reptiles. They were withering sea dragons and monsters slouching on slopes by the cliff. Serpents and wild things such as those often those such as those that often surface at dawn to roam the sail road and the doom and doom the voyage. Down they plunged, lashing in anger at the loud call of the battle bugle. An arrow from the bow of the chief of the Geet chief got once got one of them as he surged to the surface. The seasoned shaft stuck deep into his flank in his flank and his freedom in the water got less and less. It was his last swim. He was swiftly overwhelmed in the shallows, prodded by barbed four spears, cornered, beaten, pulled back on the bank, a strange lake lake berth, a loathsome catch, men gazed gazed at in awe. Beowulf got ready, donned his war gear, indifferent to death, his mighty hand forged, fine-webbed mail, would soon meet with the menace underwater. It would keep the bone cage of his body safe. No enemy clasp would crush him in it. No vicious arm lock choke out of choke his life out. To guard his head he had a glittering helmet that was due to be muddied in the mere bottom and burly er blurred in the upswirl. It was beaten gold princely head headgear uh, whooped and hasped by a weapon smith who had worked wonders in days gone by and adorned with the boar shapes since then it had resisted every sword in and another item lent by unferth that at that moment of need was no small importance a, the boar hand the boren handed him a hilted weapon, it, a rare and ancient sword named Fronting. The iron blade, with its ill-bodied patterns, had been tempered in blood. It had never failed the hand of anyone who hefted it in battle, anyone who had fought and faced the worst in the gap of danger. This was not the first time it had been called to perform heroic feats. When he lent that blade to the better swordsman, Unferth, the strong-built son of Eglaf could hardly remember the ranting speech he had made in his cups. He was not a man enough to face the turmoil of a fight underwater and the risk of his life. So there he lost frame and rep- repute. It was different for the other rigged out in his gear, ready to do battle. Beowulf, son of Ecthew, spoke, wisest of kings, now that I have come at the point of action, I will ask you to recall what we said earlier, that you, son of Halfdane, and gold friend to retainers, that you, if I should fall and suffer death while serving your cause, you would act like a father to me afterwards. If this combat kills me, take care of my young company, my comrades in arms, and also be sure my beloved Hogthar and sent to Heglack the treasures I received. 
Let the Lord of the Geats gaze on that gold. Let her through Herthel's son take note of it and see that I found a ring giver of rare magnificence and enjoyed the good of his generosity. And Unferth is to have what I inherited that to that far famed man I bequeath my own sharp owned wave sheeted wonder blade with fronting I gain I shall gain glory or die after these words the prince of the weathered yeats was impatient to be way and plunged suddenly without more ado he dived in by heaving depths of the lake it was the best part of day before he could see the solid bottom quickly the one who haunted those waters who had scavenged and gone her gluttonous rounds for a hundred seasons sensed a human observing her outlandish lair from above so she lunged and clutched and managed to catch him in her brutal grip but his body for all that remained unscathed the mesh of the chainmail saved him on the outside her savage talons failed to rip the web of his warsher then once she she touched bottom that wolf swimmer carried the male ring prince to her court so that for all his courage he could never use the weapons he carried and bewildering horde came at him from the depths dove the sea beasts who attacked with tusks and tore at his chainmail in a ghastly on onslaught the gallant man could see he had entered entered some hellish turnhole and yet the water did not work against him because of the hall roofing held the force of the current then he saw firelight a gleam and flare up glimmer of brightness the hero observed that swamp thing from hell the tarn hag in her terrible strength then heaved his war sword and swung his arm the decorated blade came down ringing singing and singing on her head but he soon found his battle torch extinguished the shining blade refused to bite it spared her and failed the man in his need it had gone through many hand-to-hand -hand fights and had hewed the armor and helmets of the doomed here but here at last the fabulous powers of that heirloom failed he glacks kingsmen kinsmen kept thinking about his name and fame he never lost heart then in a fury he flung his sword away the keen inlaid warm womb loop patterned steel was hurled to the ground he would have to rely on the might of his arm so must a man do who intends to gain enduring glory in a combat life does not cost him a thought when the prince of war geats warming to this fight with grendel's mother gripped her shoulder and laid and laid about him in a battle frenzy pitched his killer opponent to the floor but she rose quickly and retaliated grappled him tightly in her grim embrace the sure-footed fighter felt daunted the strongest of warriors stumbled and fell so she pounced upon him and pulled him out a broad well-weeded knife now she would avenge her only child but the mesh of but the mesh of the chain mail on Beowulf's shoulder shielded his life turned the edge and tip of the blade. The son of Ecthew would perish, and the Geats lost their 
warrior under the wide earth had the strong legs and locks of his war gear not helped to save him holy god decided the victory it was easy for the lord ruler of heaven to redress the balance once beowulf got up on his feet so basically in the, these lines it starts off with beowulf and his friends they sit down at the lake where there's a lot of sea monsters and then his men kill one of them and then beowulf goes ready to like kill another one which is going to be grendel's mother and then Un Unferth lost uh, fame and reputation because he could not fight underwater. And Beowulf then tells the king that if he dies for him, like going to kill more sea monsters, that he has to act like a father to the younger people of his company. And then he like tells his will. And Beowulf basically gets captured by Grendel's mother and then she brings him to her lair. But he can't hurt her with um, the sword that he was given because she's like Grendel. So then he ditches the sword and fights her with his bare hands. And he was almost stabbed by his chainmail. Or he was almost stabbed, but his chainmail saved him. And then he got back up and fought her. Hello, my name is Emma Bertrand. Welcome to LitCast. Today I will be reading lines 1,557 to lines 1,686. From Beowulf. Then he saw a blade that bowed well, a sword in her armory, an ancient heirloom. From the days of the giants, an ideal weapon, one that any warrior would envy. But so huge and heavy of itself, only Beowulf could wield it in battle. So the shielding's hero, a hard-pressed and enraged, took a firm hold of the hilt and swung the blade in an arc. A resolute blow that bit deep into her neck bone and severed it entirely. Toppling the doomed house of her flesh, she fell to the floor. The sword dripped blood. The swordsman was elated. A light appeared and the place brightened, the way the sky does when the heaven's candle is shining clearly. He inspected the vault with sword held high, its hilt raised to guard and threaten. Higlick's thane, scouted by the wall in Grendel's wake. Now the weapon was to prove its worth. The warrior determined to take revenge for every gross act Grendel had committed, and not only for that one occasion, when he'd come to slaughter the sleeping troops. Fifteen of Hrothgar's houseguards, surprised on their benches and ruthlessly devoured, and as many again carried away a brutal plunder. Beowulf, in his fu fury, now settled that score, he was the monster in his resting place, war-weary and wrecked, a lifeless corp, a casualty of the battle in Herat. The body gaped at the stroke dealt to it after death. Beowulf cut the corpse's head off. Immediately, the counselors, keeping a lookout with Hrothgar, watching the lake water, saw a heave up and surge of waves and blood in the backwash. They bowed gray heads, spoke in their sage, experienced way about the good warrior, how they never again expected to see that prince returning in triumph to their king. It was clear to many that the wolf of the deep had destroyed him forever. The ninth hour of the day arrived. The brave shieldings abandoned the cliff top, and the king went home, but sick at heart, starting, starting at the mere. The strangers held on. They wished, without hope, to behold their lord, Beowulf himself. Meanwhile, the sword began to wilt 
into gory icicles, to slather and thaw, it was a wonderful thing. The way it all melted as ice melts, when the father eases the fetters off the frost and unravels the water ropes. He who wields power over time and tide, he is the true Lord. The great captain saw treasure in abundance, but carried no spoils from those quarters except for the head and the inlaid hilt embossed with jewels. Its blade had melted and the scroll work on it burnt. So scalding was the blood of the poisonous fiend who had perished there. Then away he swam, the one who had survived the fall of his enemies, flailing to the surface, the wide water, the waves and pools were no longer infested once the wandering fiend let go of her life in this unreliable world. The seafarer's leader made for land, resolutely swimming, delighted with his prize, the mighty load he was lugging to the surface. His thanes advanced in troop to meet him, thanking God and taking great delight in seeing their prince back safe and sound. Quickly, the hero's helmet and mail shirt were loosed and unlaced. The lake settled, clouds darkened above the bloodshot depths. With high hearts they headed away, along footpaths and trails through the fields, roads that they knew, each of them wrestling with the head they were carrying from the lakeside cliff. Men kingly wear their courage and capable of difficult work. It was a task for four to hoist Grendel's head on a spear and bear it under strain to the bright hall. But soon enough they neared the place, fourteen geats in fine fettle, striding across the outlying ground in a delighted throng around their leader. In he came then, the thane's commander, the arc warrior, to address Hrothgar. His courage was proven, his glory was secure. Grendel's head was hauled by the hair, dragged across the floor where the people were drinking, a horror for both queen and company to behold. They stared in awe. It was an astonishing sight. Beowulf, son of Ecthal, spoke. So, son of Halfdane, prince of the shieldings, we are glad to bring this booty from the lake. It is a token of triumph, and we tender it to you. I barely survived the battle underwater. It was hard fought, a desperate affair that could have gone badly. If God had not helped me, the outcome would have been quick and fatal. Although hunting is hard-edged, I could never bring it to bear in battle, but the Lord of men allowed me to behold, for he often helps his the unbefriended. An ancient sword shining in, on the wall, a weapon made for giants, therefore, wielding, therefore the wielding. Then my moment came in the combat, and I struck the dwellers in that den. Next thing, the Damascend sword blade melted. It bloated and burned in their rushing blood. I have wrested the hilt from their enemy's hand, avenged the evil done to the Danes. It is what was due. And this I pledge, O Prince of the Shieldings, you can sleep secure with your company of troops in Herat Hall. Never need you fear for a single thane of your sept or nation. Young warriors are old, that laying waste of life, that you and your people endured of yore. Then the gold hilt was handed over to the old lord, a relic from long ago, for the vulnerable ruler. That rare smithwork was passed on to the prince of the Danes. When those devils perished, once death removed, that murdering, guilt-steeped, God-cursed fiend, eliminating his unholy life. 
and his mother's as well. It was willed to the king, who of all the lavish gift lords, gift of gift lords of the north was the best regarded between the two seas. So pretty much what's happening in this section is um Beowulf has definitely defeated um the bad guy with the sword. So he found the sword and he is pretty much explaining how awesome this sword is. It's hard edged and it's like has a ton of tons of jewels on it and he used this to defeat the bad guys. So now he goes back and brings the head to his people and the people that were fighting against the bad guys and um they use the head of the person and hold it high because they're very proud of defeating it and only one person did and that was Beowulf because he's super strong and he has strength of none but he used the sword not his own strength to to kill Grendel so they bring the head back on the spear to the hall where everyone else is waiting for them and yeah so pretty much they just explain what happened today in their battle which they won and so he keeps the head and the sword because they just defeated Grendel who was undefeatable Hello, my name is Elise. Welcome to LitCast. Today I will be reading lines 1687 through 1812 from Beowulf. Hrothgar spoke. He examined the hill, that relic of old times. It was engraved all over and showed how war first came into the world and the flood destroyed the tribe of giants. They suffered a terrible severance from the Lord. The Almighty made the waters rise, drown them in the deluge for retribution. In pure gold inlay the sword guards... There were rune markings correctly incised, stating and recording for whom the sword had been first made, ornamented with its scroll-worked hilt. Then everyone hushed as the son of Halfdane spoke this wisdom, a protector of his people, pledged to uphold truth and justice and to respect tradition, is entitled to affirm that this man was born to distinction. Beowulf, my friend, your fame has gone far and wide. You are known everywhere. In all things, you are even-tempered, prudent, and resolute. So I stand firm by the promise of friendship we exchanged before. Forever you will be your people's mainstay and your own warrior's helping hand. Haramad was different. The way he behaved to Egwala's sons. He rise in the world, brought little joy to the Danish people, only death and destruction. He vented his rage on men he cared with, killed his own comrades, a Paria king who cut himself off from his own kind, even though Almighty God had made him eminent and powerful and marked him from the start for a happy life. But a change happened. He grew bloodthirsty, gave no more rings to honor the Danes. He suffered in the end for having plagued his people for so long. His life lost happiness. So learn this and understand true values. I will tell you, you have wintered into wisdom. It is a great wonder how Almighty God in his magnificence favors our race with rank and scope and the gift of wisdom. His sway is wide. Sometimes he allows the mind of a man of distinguished birth to follow its bent, grants him fulfillment and felicity on earth, and 
forts to command his own in his own country. He permits him to lord it in many lands until the man in his unthinkingness forgets that it will ever end for him. He indulges his desires. Illness and old age mean nothing to him. His mind is untroubled by envy or malice or the thought of enemies with their hate-honed swords. The whole world conforms to his will. He is kept from the worst until an element of overweening enters him and takes hold while the soul's guard, its sentry, drowses, grown too distracted. A killer stalks him, an archer who draws a deadly bow, and then the man is hit in the heart. The arrow flies beneath it, his defenses. The devious promptings of the demon start. His old possessions seem paltry to him now. He covets and resents, dishonors custom, and bestows no gold. And because of good things that the heavenly powers gave him in the past, he ignores the shape of things to come. Then finally the end arrives when the body he was lent collapses and falls prey to its death. Ancestral possessions and the goods he hoarded are inherited by another who lets them go with a liberal hand. O oh, flower of warriors, beware of that trap. Choose, dear Beowulf, the better part, eternal rewards. Do not give way to pride for a brief while your strength is in bloom, but it fades quickly, and soon there will follow illness or the sword to lay you low, or a sudden fire or surge of water or a jabbing blade or a javelin from the air or repellent age. Your piercing eye will dim and darken, and death will arrive, dear warrior, to sweep you away. Just so I ruled the Ring Dane's country for fifty years, defended them in wartime with spear and sword against constant assaults by many tribes, I came to believe my enemies had faded from the face of the earth. Still, what happened was hard reversal from bliss to grief. Grendel struck after lying in wait. He laid waste to the land, and from that moment my mind was in dread of his depredations. So I praise God in his heavenly glory that I lived to behold this head dripping blood, and that after such harrowing I can look upon it in triumph at last. Take your place then with pride and pleasure, move to the feast. Tomorrow morning our treasure will be shared and showered upon you. The Geat was elated and gladly obeyed the old man's bidding. He sat on the bench, and soon all was restored, the same as before. Happiness came back, the hall was throned, and a banquet set forth. Black night fell and covered them in darkness. Then the company rose for the old campaigner. The gray-haired prince was ready for bed and a need for rest came over the brave shield-bearing geat. He was a weary seafarer far from home, so immediately a houseguard guided him out, one whose office entailed looking after whatever a thane on the road in those days might need or require. It was noble courtesy. That great heart rested. The hall towered, gold shingled and gabled, and the guest slept in it until the black raven with its raucous glee announced heaven's joy and a hurry of brightness overran the shadows warriors rose quickly impatient to be off their own country was beckoning the nobles and the bold voyager longed to be abroad his distant boat then the stalwart fighter ordered hunting to be brought to unferth and bade unferth take the sword and thanked him for lending it he said he had found it a friend in battle and a powerful help. He put no blame on the blade's cutting edge. He was a considerable man, a considerate man. So basically in these lines, 
King Hrothgar tells Beowulf that he is a great man and he is very thankful for what he has done. And he contrasts him with Haramad, who was a really bad king. Hrothgar basically gets goes into telling Beowulf about Haramad because he wants him to be reminded that he should more focus on the afterlife because his powers won't last forever. Because Hrothgar was one once young like Beowulf, but realized he was defeatable once Grendel came. Uh, after that, everyone leaves feasting, and then the next day, the Geats think about leaving to go back home, and then Beowulf plans on giving Unferth the sword, which they call hunting. And that's basically it.